Welcome to Envision, the podcast to travel to new terrain into the world of possibilities, where conversations with visionaries, their experience and their imagination take place. We explore ideas and desires to widen individual vision and expand the collective together. Let's imagine a new world and speak it aloud, letting that vision become our inspiration to create it. If you're here, you believe in the power of transformation. I am Aurora Morfin, and I am so grateful that you're here. Welcome, Chris, and thank you for being here at Ambition today. Uh, let me introduce you. I'm talking today with Chris Alada. He is the co-founder of Peace Accelerators, a nonprofit organization dedicated to accelerating the culture of peace worldwide through non-violence education and connecting diversity and cultures across the earth. Hi, Aurora. Thank you for having me. Such a fan of everything you do and, and really excited to be here. Thank you. So I usually start my conversation asking, how was the world from your child's perspective? Um, well, I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, and I lived there until right before kindergarten. And then uh, my parents divorced, and I moved with my mom and brother and sister to Kentucky. And those are very different worlds. And I grew up mostly in a very rural, um, I'd say poor area in Kentucky, very um, agricultural area. And I think that that influenced me in a lot of ways. Um, now, living in New York City, it's such a different world. I think the thing about rural small towns, at least in the United States, is although they may not be thought of as progressive, there's actually really beautiful value systems uh, in these small towns. And they're actually very communal. And everyone takes care of each other. Everyone knows each other. And people really have a spirituality that is manifested throughout the entire community. And it's not just like religious, it's a value system of caring about each other. And uh, so I guess that's some of the aspects of how I grew up. But on top of that, I guess to add some other notes, I think growing up in a small town is really beautiful for children because it releases this idea that you have to be super competitive. When you're in a small town, you can kind of do everything in many ways. And what I mean is like, I was involved in almost every club. I was in many different sports activities and those were available because the teams weren't so ultra competitive that you couldn't make the team. And I thought that getting those experiences was extremely healthy. And to be honest, I think it helped boost my confidence at an early age, which I think is essential for children's upbringing. Mm. All that I'm hearing, is that your perspective from now? Or is that the way you saw the worldview when you were a child? So the way I saw the world as a child, open is the first word that comes to my heart. Um, limitless and exciting and fun. I've always loved life, but um, I think even more of maybe as a child, I, I immense curiosity, um, wanting to understand everything and go everywhere as much as I can. And yeah, I remember my father often uh, would take us all across the country on different vacations. 
and just felt so lucky to get to see so many places uh, because a lot of the children in my class, um, many of them did get to travel. Yeah, I guess some of those openings and getting to see different places just made me so excited to see as much of the world as I could. And I think that stayed with me throughout my life. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, I think so. Like traveling for me, it's something that has definitely opened up my worldview and even my perspective of how things could be done or even made me question so many times like why things are different in one place and how or why people are doing different things in some others. So it's, it starts expanding your brain and questioning everything. So tell me, how does your worldview has changed so far? A lot. Uh, just to fill in, I think, what I think has really affected my worldview are places I've lived. Since high school, growing up in Kentucky, I've lived all across the U.S. and a little bit in Africa. But um, when I say that, I mean I've lived in Los Angeles, I've lived in Hawaii, lived in New York for years, I've lived in Miami, I've lived um, actually in South Carolina, North Carolina, Minnesota, uh, Maryland, see, Iowa, Pennsylvania, and I believe all of those experiences have given me a rather balanced perspective of at least American culture. And what I've loved so much about my time in New York City is getting to see so much global culture in one microcosm. And I think it's why I'm so attracted and consistently coming back to New York because you, you see the richness of people and also the challenge of so many cultures trying to come together. And it's incredibly fascinating and beautiful. Yes, I hear you. That's what brought me to New York too. But with everything that is going on, I mean, we're recording on the, the pandemic and everything around racist and attacking it and deconstructing it. It has brought to my attention that even when we are here, many cultures, many people from so many places, we never went kind of deep into what our worlds are. And actually, now that I've been thinking, you know, even in New York, there's little Italy, there's little Israel, Queens is full of Hispanics and little India. And, you know, these sections, it's kind of having the world closer in a way, but yeah. still every culture or every perspective is in their area. And I think that's kind of the next step that we're tackling now into getting to know each other and getting to really deepen our connections and realizing that we are all humans despite of differences. And it's a huge part that we're going through now. If you could spot or identify what were the changes? I mean, you, you were traveling and living in different places, but what else was for you that helped shift your worldview? A lot of my worldview currently for people that um, don't know much about me right now is often contemplating uh, the concepts of peace and philosophy. And I think the study of reason is a way of kind of understanding your value system and your moral system. And when you consider that and you really like dive into like, what are my morals and where are they coming from? And who is leading me? Who, who inspires me? 
that I want to somewhat emulate or be similar to or what did they like? And that, that often makes up my foundation. So I think philosophy classes in college are kind of what began some of my worldview. And then I actually think another big thing that influenced my worldview I don't speak about very often was for six years, six summers in college, I actually sold books and study systems door-to-door um, -door every summer as a college student. And what I did during that experience is I knocked on 20 to 50 doors a day. I went more doors, but I went into a, about 20 to 50 houses a day and literally sat down with 20 to 50 families every day, six days a week, every summer I was in college. And the variety of these perspectives I got to witness firsthand, I think really affected my worldview. And, and what it confirmed throughout those six years is that humans are good, really, really good. They're good people. And, you know, I got honestly people that were not kind to me, but what I started to recognize as I got pretty good at this job is that if someone was rude or mean, it's not that that person is just mean, they're often going through something. And if you can break down that barrier and you can get to that real side of them, then you get to see that beauty that's within them and everyone has it. And, and that's what you kind of had to learn in that job was how to break down people's perceptions and then get to the real and the authentic. And I'm so grateful for that experience because it, it taught me how beautiful humanity is from every background possible. Mm, thanks for sharing that. That's so powerful experience to learn about humanity. It's the first teaching in nonviolent communication is that everybody at any minute it's fulfilling a need. And that is so true that we are doing things not because we are bad, it's something behind. There's always more. And it's just beautiful how you realize that and going through that barrier and find access. And that is something that definitely is one of your stamps. Thank you. Yeah, I, I reverse very visceral experiences of knocking on a door, somebody coming outside, you know, let's say a mom in a subdivision or father, and just coming with the certainty that they are going to send me packing and they don't trust anything I have to say and are, do not want to hear anything and don't want to buy anything. And knowing that I knew 10 of their friends and had spent time with 10 of their friends and that once they knew that information, they were going to completely change. And I watched it happen hundreds of times. And because what you do is you find a way to create trust. And once people begin that trust, they become different humans. And so you get to see the, the beauty of trust um, and how do we develop trust and what creates trust between people. And um, yes, I'm very, very grateful for that experience. Mm, it's a huge piece. How do you keep trusting in people and in humanity? Because and I find it in my own experience. I am an optimist. And even though there are some days that I'm 
in total hope and some others in total despair. And I find most of the people is really, we're all going through these roller coasters. So what has kept you in the trusting and loving side of the worldview? I feel that I've met way more being honest than the average human of people. And I've spent a lot of time with people from every spectrum. And I mean, from lots of heads of state at the United Nations and like world leaders, um, but leaders of Black Lives Matter. I've done a lot of events with tech leaders, spiritual leaders, and from all of these experiences, again, I've seen not only my faith in humanity, but I've also seen that a lot of the things that I think people fear about other is really a misunderstanding of their culture. And so I think when people lock themselves in their houses, like from the fear of another race, they're, they're scared of any culture. And I feel like that's a, and sometimes that's maybe a class culture. They're afraid of somebody in a different type of socioeconomic class. I think it's because they don't understand that their root value often, their, their actual value systems. And I feel that I've spent enough time with so many groups that I, I do, and that they're all actually trying to communicate that they care about each other deep down, but they, they don't understand each other. And they're not often seeking to understand each other. And that's what I find unfortunate because a lot of times they're suffering from pretty much the same issues. And that's how humanity works, is most of us are actually all suffering from rather the same things. And the more that we recognize that, it brings us together and actually creates harmony. Absolutely. Tell me, in that regard, what calls my attention is that you really believe in yourself. Like, how were you taught to believe in yourself? Or, or was it even a conscious process? Great question. And I believe, yeah, I think one, I have to be grateful and for my parents to start out. Um, I grew up with a wonderful mother and father and grandparents that were not only encouraging, but um, strict. And often I was very frustrated with at times, but I believe that First, I had a foundation of love. And my mom, I always just remember saying so many times to me that I will always love you. And I believe that that's a foundation in general that's unconscious in me at all times, no matter if I'm in the hairiest, most difficult situation, which I've definitely been in many times, or if I'm you know, at the top of the world, I have this foundation of knowing that I'm loved. And then, I'd say on top of that, I, I'm quite what others would consider spiritual, which to me is a seeking of truth. And that is another layer that gives me this um, strength, uh, this inner strength, this inner courage. And then I think the third layer is, I believe it may be likely that we have other lives. We may live before this, we might live after this. I'm, I can't confirm with concrete validity, but if, if we do, um, I, I tend to look up to people that I think we all look up to and think, that's who I want to be like. 
And, and when I get in tough, difficult times, I remember who inspires me. So for example, um, I co-leaded this peace organization, but I really have studied the work of Tolstoy and I've studied the work of Gandhi and Jeanette Rankin and Martin Luther King and Jesus and, and Buddha. And I compare myself to those people. And I don't mean that, that like I am those people, but those are the types of people that I want to be like more than just like a CEO. Nothing against anything like that, but I just mean that those are the people that help influence my value system. And I think that they're incredibly courageous. And I don't have time in this one life to not be courageous. Let's, let's, let's do the most good that we possibly can and let's live this life to the fullest and it's it's such a beautiful experience just to get to be alive and i am so grateful every day just to get to have a body and to be here that i want to give the most i can and i i think that gives me confidence i i, I really think often about potentially being on a deathbed or my death and i truly just don't ever want to feel like i didn't give it my awe and that actually gives me confidence um, because it's like what do I have to lose let's 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 go for it let's push world peace as best we can like as whatever the closest we can get why not <laughs> <laughs> I agree can you even identify the moment that you decided that your world or your mission or your job was to bring peace to this world Let's see, I, I do. I do know actually almost the moment. I came to New York on almost a whim. I had helped start a solar company in California and we were doing some work in Africa, um, helping some African communities get access to electricity for the first time through solar. And our manufacturer went bankrupt and it threw my life into a quite challenging whirlwind. We basically were owed hundreds of thousands of dollars that they couldn't pay us. It happened very suddenly. It was a massive company that went bankrupt, uh, much larger than us. And I was thinking I was going to go move, move to Africa to do some solar work with another organization. And I decided to come to New York for a few weeks on a whim. And while I was here, um, it was the International Day of Peace. And I went to a daybreaker on a rooftop and They didn't even know it was the National Day of Peace. It just, they were just having a big daybreaker. And we announced it on the microphone that it was the National Day of Peace. And everyone was celebrating. And it was 6 a.m. in the morning. And we were on a huge rooftop in New York City right after Burning Man. And it was one of the times I felt the most joy in my life. And I started associating at that time, I, I believe, peace with joy. And recognizing how it's something that truly everyone believes in, I think, deep down. And I think it's the connecting force. I think, um, you know, I, I've been influenced by Christianity a lot growing up and in my adult life, many, many other spiritualities. But I believe at the heart of all of these spiritualities, what they're kind of just saying is peace. And, and that affects everybody in different ways. But um, I started to 
get sad, not sad, but I thought it strange that we all know we believe in this concept, yet we don't celebrate it every year as a culture, <laughs> but we celebrate all these things that we don't believe in. Like just so many things that no one cares about, but we just do it like out of formality. And I think I just saw something there that was worth striving for. And so that's what was like the beginning of P6 Accelerators, which took me on a whole roller coaster of new adventures and, and much more. But I, I really believe peace should be celebrated. And I think that it's the best way to teach peace because celebration of energy is this energy that brings people together and helps us forgive each other and helps us hug each other and love each other and overcome all of these like uh, repressed thoughts and realize that we all love each other and, and if, if done correctly, you know? And so I guess I hold this vision within me that um, we can have these unbelievable healing celebrations of peace that are done very mindfully um, on a global scale. And I'm at least planting that vision. I believe, and I've worked on this many times uh, every year, but I truly believe in the future, we will have annual celebrations as a globe of peace um, in a way that everyone looks forward to more than maybe any other holiday because um, it teaches us. I think peace is like a, a force that's a teacher and I've just become a student and often a bad student, but <laughs> I'm getting better over time. <laughs> Yes, you touch upon something that it's really, I think, important in the sense that it's a huge obstacle and it's that we are really all conditioned and we sometimes go around just like a ships doing and moving and busyness and dun, 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 you know, keeping the pace wherever we are and we forget about to stop and consider what's really important and what is valuable. And that takes us in a track. And I think, I think, and I'm really hopeful that this pandemic is being a whole container for change. I'm a big believer of that. But I wonder, in your experience, what were the beliefs that helped you shift to this worldview? One, I think all of us can visualize a world that works better than today. And that doesn't mean that today sucks, but I think that we all see hardships that we actually believe there are solutions to and that can be solved. And this isn't getting into this idealistic, perfect world, like this utopia where everything is perfect because there will always be challenges and there'll be heartbreak and people that get killed on accident, all these things. But I think we know in our hearts that the world can function for humanity and our balance with the ecosystem uh, better. And I believe that peace is almost that gravitational force that is pulling us in that direction and creates that belief. And so I think I spend a lot of my time in contemplation. And I believe that's what a lot of leaders and peace leaders do is how do we envision that world and create environments where many people can envision their version of that world and then work on that? 
because when you work on that, there's nothing more fulfilling. Uh, I, I, I often tell people when they ask me, is like, I want you to think about the best possible future humanity can create that you think is possible in your lifetime. And do whatever you think creates that. <laughs> because like, it's a fun way to spend your time, it's a fulfilling way to spend your time, and it, you, you don't feel like you're wasting this life, you feel like you're, you're creating the future. Um, and, and that's what I think we're here. Yes, I might be redundant, but tell me what beliefs help help you to keep on that path. Because I've heard many people and from my clients, this feeling of being too small for our actions to impact change in large scale. But I'm a big believer that many little people doing little actions in everywhere, it will create that change. But is there, is there any belief that you can spot that keep you doing it regardless of whatever is going on? One, I believe it's important everyone connect with spirit, whatever that means to them. And as far as beliefs, my suspicion mixed with I've had very unique experiences, so many to be honest, is that there's basically multiple realms that are kind of overlapped at the same time. And I've experienced a connection with something so vast, deep, caring, compassionate, that when you, anytime you truly experience it, and you don't have to put words on it, it humbles you, and it almost like brings you to your knees, in my opinion, almost in tears, because of how beautiful those experiences um, definitely influence me. And then one thing about New York, and not just New York, but especially New York, is that there's so much magic here. And I think that what consistently influences my beliefs is that I've had so many tiny, little, strange experiences that show me I'm on my path. And I think it's okay to always ask, you could call it the universe, you can call it creator, great spirit, goddess, God, whatever you want to call it. But I think that if you request internally to kind of show you the way or make sh get some confirmation on something, you'll find it. And I've asked for that many, many times and had some of the most beautiful experiences uh, and they transformed my life. Things I can't explain. And I do believe that as you get deeper and deeper on what I would call your true path in very strange mysteries and coincidences and things that blow your mind and you don't know how to explain it and you just have to say, okay, there's something greater here. Um, we're not doing, I'm not doing it. I'm just being a vessel for it. And that's how I often feel is that I'm, I, and I ask for it. I, I, I pray and I often say to whatever it is. <laughs> I pray to anything that is of love and mercy and compassion and peace and of the goodwill of all beings to be a vessel. 
and it allows me to take the pressure off of myself and to just uh, experience that and do my best to reflect what might be available. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. In that regard, have you found non-believers that critique or judge or despise your perspective? What do you do? I believe that if people don't uh, agree with my perspective, they probably don't understand it. And I don't mean that against them. I mean, in my opinion, the concept of finding what we agree upon. And that's almost what the word represents. And I think it's beyond the word. Um, it's almost an energy, you could say. And I think that what complicates a lot of things is language. Um, while it brings us together in so many ways and allows us to communicate, I think that's why so many peace leaders and monks value silence. Because if you can get a huge group to all sit for a few minutes just in silence with each other, all of a sudden everyone feels connected and we feel human. And I think that I believe in that silence. I believe in that connection that goes beyond the words because we get stuck in these concepts, this concept of disagreeing, instead of just saying we're both human and we pretty much want the same things. We want good food, and beautiful people around us to have amazing experiences and adventure and love and a warm shelter and it's, not as complex as we think sometimes. So I think that when people have critics or things like that, I think they think, I believe in this future where everything is perfect and no one ever gets mad at each other and everything works so succinctly. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think we'll ever really fully reach that. But I do believe the work is to liberate us as best as possible. And there are a lot of people that are oppressed in ways they don't have to be. And there's areas of progress. And I think it's important we focus on taking care of the, you could say the, the poor, um, which that's kind of a perception of how you describe poor, or taking care of people that are, I believe, incarcerated, which is a form of slavery. And, and when you work on those things, um, it creates joy within you, you know, that, that service. And then, and it's all educational. I, I, I'm just a student on a path, and I'm learning too. And so there's not really anything to necessarily disagree about other than let's just learn from each other. I often describe my spirituality in a way as a pantheist, which means that nature, which is everything that we know of basically in this universe, is, you could say, divinity or God. And it's almost the exact same as atheism, which is nothing is God. And so we're really just using these logical words to try to almost get to the same destination. But we could also get there by just not speaking and feeling the silence <laughs> of the connection between us. Yes, 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 yes. And I guess you touch upon something really important, which is learning from each other. That's huge. That's huge. I read somewhere recently, and I think it's a really beautiful way to look at life, is that maybe look at it as everyone is enlightened except you. <laughs> <laughs> and so everybody is your teacher, every experience. And I do look at life often as just mirrors. Mm -hmm. And so everywhere you go is, is really you. But we think that we're seeing you when we look in the mirror, 
but really it's all the other experiences is you. So me being in this room is a reflection of my choices um, and your choices. And everywhere I go is a reflection of these choices that I'm making. And so I'm really understanding myself. And, you know, when you get deep into Buddhist philosophy and these, this sense of oneness, I think that's what we understand is that um, in a way we are this unified consciousness learning from itself, from each other. I believe there's a lot of truth to that. And as you experience meditation, you feel that. Yes. I know you just said that what actually sometimes throw us in division or in conflict is the words, but how would you describe peace? What is peace for you? I love this question. This is my favorite question to answer because I love hearing this from everybody. I think peace is a prismatic concept. And what I mean is it's this light and even that word can be somewhat triggering in like the racial conversations right now, but let's say it's this attractive force that has all these different beautiful shades, like a prism, but when you get to experience it, it's understanding. And I actually believe war is just misunderstanding and peace is understanding. And so, I also believe you can divide peace. I've studied many philosophers on peace um, into all these different categories, which are all worth learning. I think it should be such an important part of our children's educational systems. Like, for example, I think there's inner peace, and then you have relational peace with anybody you're in a relationship with in general. Then you have communal peace, and then you have global peace. And all these would have completely different facets. And I have had so many experiences of individual peace. I think it's actually a lot easier than we make it out to be. And I, I recommend anyone that is listening to this, go find your inner peace. It doesn't mean I have it at all times and everything's always perfect, it's not. But learn to meditate and whatever that means to you. And it's basically like, as Buddha would say, like detachment. My inner peace comes from a belief in me that everything is actually perfect. And if you zoom out of the planet, you zoom out of the solar system, you zoom way, way back, we're just experiencing it. <laughs> it's awesome. Like, thank God we get to experience. We get to be here. And that's peace. Like, it's gratefulness. And that's the inner peace. But then when you get into relational peace, and then you get into community peace, and you get into global peace, you get a lot more variables. And it gets much more challenging, but also thrilling and exciting and fascinating and worth the contemplation. The other last thing I'll say on this, which I think is important, is I believe the concepts of peace and truth are extremely connected. And so I think the closer that we get to peace on an individual and global scale is as we draw nearer to truth. And I don't know that all truth can even be described. Some of it, you could almost say, has just to be felt. Uh, as far as a global future, I think it's possible that we move as possibly close to global peace is I believe that society has created certain illusions within our consciousness that detach us from a more consistent peace every day. And so a lot of my goal throughout my life is can I help 
people lift some of these illusions in a way that will be nonviolent and we can do it in a careful process that allows us to create a more sensible, feelable trust um, throughout our communities that is almost unspoken. And so an example of that, I don't believe personally that the homo sapien has the ability to own anything. And I don't mean that ownership is bad because I don't think it's bad. What I'm saying more is that it's untrue and that it's more of like an illusion of our consciousness. Now, we need tools to have a beautiful life um, and to give our gifts to the planet and we need access to those tools. But I think the more that we understand that we're playing a game when we think that something is ours, we're, we're, we're opening up a game that isn't a real game. And that really we're these beautiful, intelligent, divine-like monkeys almost in a way that are walking around this earth pretending we own things. And as we remove that layer, I actually think it's the gateway to the next level of peace as a civilization. Because as I study war, all war, for the most part, from my perception, is caused from that belief system. Because once you begin to think you own something, one, you create slavery, you can own a human, um, you start to create all these rules and structures and laws around this is mine, that's yours. And it doesn't mean abolish private property, let's all go to communism. And I think that that's what people think too often when I talk about this concept, and I'm not. I'm not, I, I don't think communism is the answer. What I'm saying is the answer is truth. And that doesn't mean we all get rid of our homes and abolish the government. It's just a conversation about what's more important, life that is living or things that are unliving. And we often kill people and we put them in cages for things that are unliving. Some of these illusions are being lifted from us right now and that's where we're seeing this police movement because we're starting to recognize that what's sacred is the living. And I think that's what peace's teachings are as well, is that what's sacred is what's alive. And it doesn't mean don't have possessions or belongings and you have to completely let go of all your material things. It just means don't be attached to them so that if you lose one of them or you lose some of them, that it causes this great frustration in your life. It's just a thing. It's not nearly as important as a life and, and our freedom. And I think that it's a central concept to peace because we also think we own this country and we own this imaginary borders. And I think that peace is a form of clear thinking. What I try to encourage in people is to see the world for what it really is. And the more that we do that, we can build structures around truth. And when you build on top of truth, you get peaceful outcomes. Hmm, yeah, the human complexity, right? Yeah. Yeah. You kind of answer a little bit of my next question, which is like from your peace accelerator perspective, how would you envision the world would look like, you know, if you would have a magic wand to change the world as you please, 
I'm so excited. This is where I definitely lose some people, and <laughs> I love that because I all my favorite people throughout history were radical. It's okay to be radical. It's okay to think different, and we should think different, or else you never create a better world. I find that the radicals push us so far, and then often we kind of like meet in the middle, but we slowly get there. And so I try to push people's thoughts. As far as envisioning the future, I believe countries are another form of an illusion. I don't think they're bad. I think they, right now, protect our security in different ways, and they allow us to think about different cultures. But I think we are perpetuating a narrative of separation through them. And we have to look at the nation state model of organizing this world from a balanced perspective. And when we do that, we see a lot of positives, like creating nation states, there's a lot of good. But then you also have to look at the other side. And on the other side, you create this like strange idea of us being separated by these random lines we created. And also this like huge protectionism because of that. And then this massive refugee crises. And this gets very complex. And um, I can step on people's toes very quickly. But again, what I go back to is more of the question of what's true and what's not true. And what's true is that we live on one planet and that we're actually all homo sapiens. And that most of our language around our nationalisms are illusions. And we know that. Like, what, what, what is an American? American is 300 million people, 300 million different things. And for us to like be like, well, this is what America believes in. Yes, there's some generalizations we can somewhat make, but really we're all just human and we know that and we all, all want the same things. And I think that we are like growing closer to this. I believe millennials consider themselves more earth citizens than Americans in general. But I believe that certain structures have to emerge in order for this reality to take more hold. And so what I mean by that is that I believe countries are going to continue to exist, probably for, I used to think shorter, but I've uh, matured, but I, I'd say for a few decades, but I just don't know that we need to perpetuate these narratives somewhat. I'm not against them. Like, like for example, you're taking your oath tomorrow, which is beautiful for the access that it gives you because when you don't have that access right now, you are oppressed in so many ways. You can't go so many places, you can't do so many things because of this random idea of citizenship. One of the things I am very dedicated to pioneering throughout this decade is Earth citizenship and a true Earth citizenship, planetary citizenship, that everybody on this planet gets a citizenship when they're born, and you can keep your country citizenship. That's great. You can be a dual citizen. You can be a triple and quadruple citizen. You can be a citizen of all these countries. But deep down, I guess for me, my allegiance is to the earth way more than America. And nothing against America. I'm not, it's not that I'm not grateful to walk on this narrative, basically, in my opinion, because who knows how long that narrative will last. But the earth is going to be here. And I believe it's all of our job to take care of this earth so much more than America. And if we don't, we're going extinct. And that has to be on everyone's conscience that like, it is so much more important 
that we take care of our soil, that we take care of our rainforest and our coral more than fighting countries. And, and we know this, we all know this. And so I know that Earth citizenship is possible and some of these technologies are now coming online which make it more and more possible. But I don't think it has to be this civil war between globalism and, and nationalism as much as just an emergence of a renaissance of thinking and a new way, a new paradigm, a new perception. And what's one reason I love interacting with you is because um, I believe that your flags help people feel that. Because it's one thing to describe it, but it's another thing to create the iconography to start living in these new paradigms. And I believe that in a way, that's what enlightenment is, is almost living in a future before it's there you know that has to move that direction because it's true. And, and I think the humanity gravitates towards truth. So they probably know about your organization, uh, Flags of the New World. I believe it's, it's flags that are grounded in truth. It's common concepts, it's energetic concepts, it's things that every human being can feel and experience. And those symbols are incredibly important. And so I, I truly, hope that we'll continue to work together over the next decade to forge pioneering thoughts and visions and feelings within people of a new way that fills people with hope and love and that feeling that things are actually going to come together in this way that we a lot of people never expected and i believe that it will i really do i, I think in a way we've actually have not even become a civilized species just yet. I think that we're still approaching civilization. And my goal with peace is how do we get to civilization? And yeah, I, I think it's possible. I think we all know that. I think that we can get to the point where like, why were we all killing each other over these borders? I care about every human being on this planet. They're my people. Uh, every race, they're my people. I, I really do. I think it's best to help the people that are at the bottom, the people that are the most oppressed, because we never will have peace when there's so much imbalance, you know? And if there's groups that have so much less access than other groups, there's gonna be massive tension. And that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah, it is a transition from competitiveness in all aspects to collaboration, right? I hope to see that world in our lifetime. Yeah. I really think I, it's going to be sooner than we think. I think this is the decade. I feel like on one side, you know, we have to put in the actions and create it and cultivate it. And then on another side, I believe it's an organic, natural evolution process of our species. There's that balance between surrendering and being activated and, and cultivating and creating. Um, and that's where I like the kind of vessel concept is like, Surrender to the vessel of the highest truth as best you can and just be a force for it in your own way. And everyone will do it in their own way and we're all playing our own part and that's beautiful. Yes, I guess in past decades we have been cultivating just the mind and now it's a way and a moment to integrate the heart, the body, all the bodies, you know, the energies and depending on what you believe, as you said, this universe, all universes, and start aligning with all that 
we see and don't see because that's something that we used to believe just in what we see and now it's a moment to start feeling and being with what we cannot see yes exactly yeah i think one other important thing to discuss in this uh, while we're on this topic i always encourage people to learn about the venus project which is this project that's based out of florida um, by one of my favorite teachers who, who died a few years ago i think 101 since jacques fresco and venus project is this idea of a world that can exist basically without money. And that's a huge leap for most people. And I'm not saying that we'll get there, but I do believe it's possible. And I think that if you don't believe it's possible, in many ways, I don't think you've educated yourself on the topic. And that's not bad. I think it's just more about educating yourself on how it would work because I find a lot of, it's not even frustration with money as much as I almost see it as this religion that wasn't taught to you as a religion and was kind of forced upon you. And that's where I find it frustrating is that in American society, in many ways, if you like choose not to believe in what I would consider the religion of money, one, you're considered crazy in many ways. And then on top of that, you're pretty much put in jail for just about anything you try to do. It's like, well, if you don't believe in our religion, then we're caging you. And it's like, that's pretty wild, yeah. you know, in most ways. And, and I think that people think, well, you're a communist. And it's like, no, I, it's not what I'm talking about at all. This, in Jacques Fresco's vision, for example, it's something called a resource-based economy. And I believe it's like closer, as I said, like on the scale of what I consider truth. And I believe that if you think, let's just pretend there are other planets that have intelligent life. I, I think that it's easy to believe that on those other planets, there's probably civilizations that don't use money. And then on top of that, I think the easiest way to connect people that may be possible is when you think about space travel. And you think it's so hard to believe it on Earth, but let's just say we're gonna take a thousand people and we're going to Mars and we're gonna create the Mars civilization. Do we need to bring thousands of dollars to exchange with each other on Mars? Do we need to like, like have debit cards and be swiping <laughs> things in our Mars civilization? Or do we think we just get it all of a sudden and everything in a way is shared in a way that works? And I believe that that is possible. Included in this conversation, um, when I was at the United Nations, I've been in some really dynamic conversations around peace with some of the most important peace leaders on the planet, in my opinion. And a Swami, in one of the first meetings when I was at in one of these, um, in his like orange monk-like robe, and he said the most violent areas in the world are the areas where the people are the least willing to share. And I think about that probably every day, if not more. And so I live by a different value system than a lot of what you would consider the American value system. And it's very frustrating for a lot of relationships in my life because we're not used to it. It's not what we were taught and it's difficult to process and it creates a lot of difficulties when we're living in one system and we're, we're trying to embody others because there's situations where it comes up because I'm the type of person that pretty much shares everything that I have because I don't believe it's mine. 
I believe it helps me. And I believe in that abundance. I believe that I've slept on the streets before. I've slept in mansions. I've had beautiful apartments at times. And other times I've been completely homeless. And I've wanted those experiences because I want to experience the fullness of life but to also question my own perspectives in different ways. And I, I really believe that if we can get the world to share, increasing just their belief in sharing as a planet, that we will heal so much. Like, and that could be through sharing conversations, but really sharing our access, I think, is the key. It's also like the, the most important issue in a way is that's why people are frustrated because this is mine and that's mine. Instead of like, there's enough. I, I do believe in abundance. Mm, yeah. And I think it's scary because I think we're all worried about, are there enough resources? You know, I think deep down there's this, you know, are we going to run out? But I guess my trust in this greater force, my inclination is that that's not going to happen. I do believe that we're evolving and the corona has been a sense of evolving and even these racial things happening, which seem chaotic, are really this beautiful healing, this exposure to new information that people weren't understanding, this new realization that there's still massive racism and incarceration is not right in many areas. You know, like I actually believe that we have the capacity to build a prisonless future. And I think that if you just spend time with it, I'm not telling you have to believe it, as you do, what you learn is that we shouldn't be pushing people out of society, we should be including them closer. And as we bring them closer to what we have, there's healing. Yes. Two things to highlight as food for thought. If money is man-made and all the resources that we need to live our nature provides, and there are plenty, and I believe it's just a matter of distribution. And totally it's important that we cultivate a future of balance where we respect the earth. And more than anything, more than any systemism, is that we learn how to be in balance with nature. And what I'm seeing, and maybe I'm wrong, is that currently, a lot of the global effects of capitalism is monetizing nature in a way that is putting us at risk. Oof, I guess we can do another podcast and keep going and getting deep and deep. And just to close, I want to ask you one last question. If I could give you or gift you a permission slip, what would you give yourself permission to? I think it would be permission to remove guilt. <laughs> I, I have some incredible spiritual teachers that have influenced my life and they told me one of my sufferings is I create guilt because I hyperanalyze my choices. You know, it's hard for me to buy almost anything because I, I, I see the process that I'm creating and the 50 decisions that that creates and the, where that money goes into some bank and then where do they invest in all these complex questions which come from our simple decisions, maybe as much um, permission to judge myself less mm. probably be uh, good for me. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for being here. Thank you so much for uh, holding this space and allowing me to share some of these things.
I just want to say before this podcast ends, Aurora has been one of the most inspiring people in my life. The way she cultivates her space, even um, I'm sitting in, is such a new way of thinking and a way that I wish the whole world would um, take lead from. And uh, I learned a lot uh, from you uh, constantly. Just someone I look up to and feel loved by and am grateful for uh, your presence in my life. Mm, Thank you, Chris. Ciao for now. And meanwhile, you are invited to envision and take action. What can you do today to create the world that you want to live in?